Welcome to Love Essie, the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm back. Sorry, I'm a day late. So this week, um, so I was on Instagrams, on the grams of Insta, and um, talk underscore about underscore soon, so talk about soon, um, has a amazing post about historical romance by Black authors, um, 50 adult romance book recommendations. This is, I'm someone who reads historical. I enjoy historical. So I saw this and I was like, okay, I have to like check this out. And I, it literally, she has it broken down. Like the first slide is non-regency. Sec- the first two slides are non-regency. Then it goes to West, Midwest. Then it's Black romance, meaning both characters are Black people. Nobody's interracial. Um, they're Blacky-Black. Um, then she goes to interracial slide. A Regency England slide. Um, novellas. Old school and coming soon. So I was, you know, like I said, I was on Instagram And I was immediately, like, of course my eye was, like, all over all these titles. But I was immediately, I was immediately drawn to a Harlequin historical title. Um, I think a month or two ago I read some, like, it's like a Harlequin historicals. But it was, like, three short stories bundled in, like, one book. Mm, They were, they weren't terrible. I mean, I've read worse things, but... I don't remember them because that's how little of an impression that they made. Um, so I was a little like, oh, right, Harlequin. Um, but it was clear that, um, oh, and she also gives like a quick little like rundown. So it, it, it this is what I read. MF, so male, female, pre-revolution France, both main characters are biracial family drama and betrothal. And I was like, oh, does my library have this? It did. Did I borrow it on Libby? I sure did. Did I read it? Hell yeah. And that's what I'm going to talk about. So I didn't know what to expect, right? I was kind of like, um, it's fascinating to me as I was reading this book. So much historical is set right in Regency England, right? Um, what is fast? And what I think what's really interesting because I had this thought as I was reading this book there was this moment of like, why aren't more books set in France with French nobility? But then as I was reading, I was like, wait, do these guys get a happily ever after? Because like, who's, who's ruling at this point? Because the French revolution is going to show up and like, don't all these people get beheaded? (laughs) Like, isn't that where guillotine comes from? So a part of me at first was like, wait, 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 what is going on? What is that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know what's happening. Now, what I also think was really interesting. Oh, I should probably tell you the name of the author. Um, this is written by Parker J. Cole, and it is their debut, their Harlequin debut. I don't know if it is their, like, book book debut. I should probably do research on that, but I didn't. Um, but it does state literally in the beginning of the book that this is their, like, debut for Harlequin historicals. So, um, so yeah, so I was like, oh, okay, like... A happily ever after is, you know, it's what we expect in this genre. And there was a small part of me though that was like, yeah, but um, 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 because as I as we as I was reading, um, the characters do get presented to the queen, and the queen that is mentioned is Maria Antoinette. And I was like, oh yeah, so like, huh, uh, huh, huh, uh, what, what, when is this? <laughs> um, so there was a, there was a brief disquiet, uh moment about that now the epilogue I think ends up resolving that I think in a way that I thought was really nicely done um basically I feel like I can't really talk about this without spoiling it and I it's it's a short book I feel like you can just ignore the spoilers or you guys will be fine um so our the two main characters, Lilas and uh, Bastian. Now I'm like forgetting the man's name, um, which is not like totally. It is Bastian. 
she made more of an impression on me. Um, it's not that he didn't, but anyway, um, they're both biracial. Now, what's interesting is Lilas is, when we meet her character, she is a cinder girl, meaning she's a servant. And then it turns out that, like, she's actually related to, like, a, a, a duke or a count. Or, no, Bastian is a duke. I think her father was a viscount. I don't know. Titles always throw me off for the very longest time because I'd never heard Viscount pronounced. I was like, Viscount? And then people were like, Viscount? And I was like, oh, um, sure. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so she ends up, I think she's 18 when she finds out that she's actually not just like a slave, or not a slave, not just a servant girl, but, you know, um, a member of the nobility. So... Both of these characters, their fathers are members of the nobility who end up falling in love with um, black women. Um, Bastian's mother, I'm not entirely sure if it mentions where exactly she's from. No, it does. She's from Haiti. Or her family, at least, is from Haiti. And Lila's mother... It's called a maroon. I don't know if she's also... I don't think she's exactly from... I don't think it's Haiti. Um, they're, like, on a ship. So Bastian's father, mother, and his friend are on a sh- They're basically, you know, rescued by black people. And then, you know, they end up falling on... He, the friend, falls in love with one of the women. Um, and that ends up being Lila's mother. So... The story is, you know, about these two characters um, that, you know, at first it's like, oh, they can't be together because she's obviously a cinder girl. We fast forward to, we, we find out the truth about her and then the father's like, like Bastian's father's like, this is perfect. Me and my friend had always, you know, planned to betroth our children since they were, they had a daughter and since I had a son, and here she is, and then the son is like, uh, nah? So he's been, like, friends, or as as much of a friend as you can be to someone who's a servant to you with this girl this whole time, but when his father's like, now nah, you're gonna be betrothed to her, he's like, skirt, skirt, absolutely like, nah. And here's the thing, at first I'm like, wow, really? Okay, whatever. As I kept reading, I realized that a lot of his reasoning had a lot to do with not wanting to um ever basically like many many characters within the world of romance and this i would say is happens to both male main characters and female main characters um bastian does not want to fall in love because he see you know his he saw what it did to his father and he does not want that he does not want to live with that level of grief because basically his mother dies and his father basically, like, cuts himself off. And I feel like we see this a lot, especially in historicals, is that the mother dies, and one of the parents dies, and the other parent kind of forgets that they have kids because they're so in love and are just so... Which sometimes I think that rings true. And sometimes I'm like, really? So you're just going to forget about the fact that you've got children with this person? And, like, it never occurs to you that maybe this person wouldn't want you to... But I think also, as I'm saying this out loud, I think if your children are, are, you know, grown or closer to adulthood, it's a lot easier to sort of sink into that pit of, like, despair because you've lost this person. Whereas if they're, like, literal, like, babies that you have to, like, do stuff with. And when I say do stuff with, it's, like, when you're not, like, rich enough to pay people. Because if you're rich enough, you can just pay someone to handle all of that and shut yourself off from your child. And I feel like this is a very common theme in Harlequins. I, I And I say this because I've been reading a lot of Harlequin Presents and a lot of the male main characters. This is their issue. They don't want to fall in love. Absolutely not. And, you know, they're just at, like, new. And it all stems back to seeing their parent fall in love, whether it was their mother or their father, and having their entire life implode because either the love wasn't returned, you know, divorce, cheating, whatever, or the, you know, the other parent died and, you know, all that. Sebastian is very much like, no, you don't get to dictate my life and I'm not just marrying this girl. And then there's the added layer of 
when Bastian's father chose his mother, the king at the time was like, oh, you're going to choose. It isn't said that, like, they lose favor with the court because he chose a black woman, but it's not a woman of his class. And, you know, that's enough. So Bastian is also kind of like the only way I can bring the family back, maybe into the good graces of the, you know, of, of the king, well, in this case, queen, is by probably choosing a woman who is above reproach. And clearly it can't be a girl who, like, started out as a servant because no one knew that she was actually the daughter of, like, a noble person, a nobleman. Um, so, you know, time, Bastian goes off on a grand tour, comes back four years later, his father has died. Um, and homegirl Lila's hasn't broken the betrothal. She's kind of like, the power is in your hand, girl. Like, what you doing? And she was kind of like, where was I going to tell you? Like, how was I going to break it off? You weren't here. He's like, you could have found me. And she's like, girl, how? Which, like, of course, at this time, like, you can't just, like, text somebody. This is the 1700s. None of that is possible. So the two characters are both like, yeah, we're not doing this. And then there's a notice in the paper that they're engaged. And he's all like, how could you do this? And she's like, you really think I would do this to you? Really? Like, after all this time, you loser? Turns out his, like, cousin, who had, um, I'm assuming came from somewhere far away, to take care of his father, had promised his, his father on his deathbed to make sure that they didn't blow off this betrothal. So what I think is really interesting, um, as I was reading, right, I was just kind of like, you know, there was another mention of a biracial character. And what I think the author, what I appreciated was the author what made it very clear that in this world, this existed. Now, people who were biracial were immediately accepted by everyone. And there was obviously like issues and circumstances, but it wasn't like it no one in the book treated the fact that these characters were biracial as like a complete anomaly, as like a unicorn prancing through, you know, fields where like little gold coins fall off the leaves or whatever. Like it was understood that these are things that happen, right? Um, and I think what's interesting is that it is that stands out so much because when I think of the majority of the historicals I've read that are set in like a Regency England, there is, I think I can count on one hand and have fingers left over the books that reference any person who is not English or Scottish, maybe Irish um, or Welsh. There is no mention, there's next to no mention, oh, oh, and sometimes gypsies, um, or sorry, Rom, Romani people, um, that is about it, like, if you really scour and read a lot of Regency, you know, historicals, everyone's white, and you might go, Esther, like, I don't see what the problem is, here's the thing, I understand if you're setting the story in a very small village in the English countryside. You're setting the story in London. In London, right? The seat of of power, of an empire that coined the phrase you know, the sun never sets on the British Empire. You were telling me that there are never going to be people in that town that aren't white, that aren't going to be traveling, passing through, having business. You're, what? That's ludicrous to me. That's, 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 that is like, you know, one of my issues with the show Friends and the show Girls. You want to set shows in New York City and then pretend like there are no people of color to be found. How? How? Now, someone's going to be all like, oh my God, like, da -da 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 -da. shut up. I know, I guess it could be possible for you to live a completely lily white existence in a massive cosmopolitan city like London but I feel like you would have to work really hard towards that 
But anyway, I digress. And you might, some people might say, Esther, that sounds like a modern talk. But here's the thing, again, if, if you have interests in places and people, you know, people are, you know, are fucking all over the place. And then we can get real, real grim with, you know, um, other stuff. Like, there are going to be people who are going to be biracial. There are going to be people who, you know, in the course of being biracial, are going to be really light-skinned, really dark-skinned, and somewhere in the middle. None of those people could have showed up in England? That's a lie. I don't like it. Big lie. But anyway, back to the book. Um, so we get this, like, love story between these two characters... One who grew up believing she was a servant, but also just felt completely alone and displaced. I will say this is where I was a little bummed. So she finds out that, you know, her father is alive and all that. And then we find out after Boston comes back that, like, she was supposed to meet her father and then he dies on the way to meet her. Like, he has a carriage accident on the way to meet her and so she never actually meets her father and her her mother had died of childbirth so she never is able to speak to anybody who knew her parents like aside from her former you know master who wasn't a master like Bastian's father was friends with the man so I'm sure he was able to maybe give her some information about his friend and his friend's wife but like this is where now the the, the thing is, like, so the story could have just been the issues that these two characters are having, you know, oh, and she's an artist, and she's starting, she's made a name for herself, the queen has already seen her art and thinks it's cool, and then, of course, when news of their engagement comes out, the queen wants to meet them, and it does make, the book does allude to the fact that, like, these two biracial people being together her being really, you know, popular as an artist, and him actually being the son, the legitimate and legal heir to a dukedom, which is, you know, um, the case for Bastian, is kind of a big deal. And I'm assuming it's like, you know, this combination of like they're biracial and they're together, you know, whatever, whatever. And so we, the story could have just been about them navigating all of that, right? Like, how do we? deal with the fact that, you know, I used to be a servant in your household. I'm no longer a servant in your household. I'm essentially an equal to you. We are betrothed. We didn't want to stay betrothed because you want, you know, some like paragon, some virtue with, you know, unattainable woman because you don't actually want a relationship with someone like me. And it isn't, he, he, understands very quickly although I don't think it's clear to him why he's all like she's unacceptable because of her roots but as the time as the book progresses he realizes that she's unacceptable because he knows that he would fall in love with her and he is you know running scared from from that so he's kind of like oof <laughs> I cannot do that because then you know like <laughs> feelings no um but but amongst all of this there starts to be it starts very subtle, but we start to realize that something something else is going on. Someone's trying to hurt her. Why? And eventually it comes out that her stepmother, right, um, had actually had an affair with her father um, before her father had met. So her Lila's stepmother had an affair with Lila's father before he met his his wife, Lila's mother and fell in love with him and had a son by him she was apparently married to a baron who was awful and abusive from what we we later find out she kills that man because she wants to be with Lilas's father Louise but then Louise comes back married and she's kind of like what so she tries to become really good friends with his wife I think the plan at that point is probably to see if he'll cheat on his wife with her she ends up liking you know Lila's mother but when Lila's mother gives birth and because Louise is away she tries to get rid of the baby and gives it to like a nun and the nun doesn't kill the baby the nun does what many people do in this situation um gives it to an orphanage 
And basically, because her son technically is Louise's son, but he doesn't know, and of course, homeboy is technically illegitimate, she's always thought, okay, your daughter is dead, air quotes. Eventually, you know, my son can inherit. Um, he's already inherited the title from the my first husband, who was not his father, who I killed. And now he'll inherit the title from his real father, who I do love. Except that then the daughter shows up again. And so she... This is where things get a little... This was probably my one sticking point. The woman did try, ends up killing Louise. And I was like, wait, what? Why would you kill the man you said? And so I don't know if it's like, because he, Louise, even after he lost his wife, I mean, he does marry her. So I don't know like why she was like, oh no, his daughter. Um, because it, uh, that's where I was like, if she really wanted her son to inherit then wouldn't it have made more sense to let Louise get the girl, bring her home, and then kill the girl? But Joan will say. Um, but it also seemed like she was like kind of cuckoo. So maybe this is all just like all all in her crazy. So we have, you know, Lila's and Bastien trying to figure out how they are going to be together. And then at the end of it all, Maybe that's why it was also like named Cinderella or the title has Cinderella because her stepmother is definitely trying to kill her. Definitely does try. And um, poor Pierre, oh, that is the son who is technically half brothers with Lila's, but originally just thinks that they're like stepbrother and stepsister. He ends up having to like, you know, lose his mother. She doesn't die. She gets shipped off to the colonies. And I was like, the bitch is crazy. Maybe let's not ship her off to the colonies. But I think at that time, because of what she had done, the only other option was, like, death, like the gallows. Um, so off to the colonies she went. And I was like, oh, oh, oh no. Um, but he ends up, like, gaining a sister, who we already, I think, considered a sister, but now she's, like, legitimately half-blood or half-sister of his, but losing his mother. Um, now, the epilogue, which is why I was like, the epilogue has... The main couple, so Lila and Bastian, are already in Haiti, um, spending more time with his mother's side of the family. And Bastian's cousin is on his way to meet them, and so is Pierre. And so part of me thought, okay, if everyone is in Haiti when the revolution pops off, they won't be murdered. And so they will be able to live like a happy, happily ever after. Because if not, it's all gonna end in you know guilty and no good no good no good at all um so i will say like this historical i enjoyed i think it was like because of the change in scenery it was really interesting because like there are duke you know duke duke you know countess or like you've got these similar titles and you've got the same the same concept of court and and balls and and events um I thought it was interesting that like you know there were slight differences in you know how people behaved um but I also was just like wow like why haven't we seen more of it maybe I just haven't looked for it which is also very possible like you know sometimes I too make the mistake of being like there should be more of xyz and someone's like girl it, it is there you just have to search for it um try harder um so i think that's what i need to do find more like romance that is set you know 16 1700s i guess what'll be but here's the thing okay if because i was like well you know 1800s france don't say i mean obviously once the whole royal family and all that jazz is, is you know sent to to die die um you won't necessarily have dukes and duchesses and whatnot but i also still think that it would still be really interesting to read like stories that you know romances that are set in like france maybe not right at the moment of that revolution but like a few years after um 
maybe not like a few years before because again my brain is going to be going pero how would they they don't ooh and I do think that also brings to mind um, this idea that like I think we're no let me not generalize I think for myself when I think of happily ever after as I'm thinking forever but also like that's not realistic like that's not humanity yes these are characters and books but like these are not unless it's a paranormal involving literal immortal beings then these are characters that are going to like live for a certain period and then pass away but I think in this specific setting if we're looking at pre-revolution France if you're a little too close to that date it feels very like so they so they died didn't they like they didn't survive that right but then I also think of like well you know maybe they escaped right because I'm sure there were people who got away or escaped like maybe they like you know hoofed it to Italy or in like I think that's what I really appreciated about the epilogue because the epilogue has them in Haiti and it has them in Haiti like it didn't I didn't get the feeling that they had like escaped by you know like it wasn't like a sound of music like we just like we literally like over the mountains through the woods it no it felt more like they had made the decision to go be closer to this family and then you know the revolution's gonna happen and they're already gonna be in Haiti and so they'll just you know not return um which I was like oh okay I like I like that and I because it was there I like that the author you know didn't leave us wondering like so did they just like <laughs> die because here's the thing um I've been to Paris um I've been to Paris three times I'm actually going in Mar- at the end of March and I've been to Versailles twice. And for those of you who have never been to Versailles, um, all I can tell you is that I completely, 100% understand why the bourgeois, why, why the lower classes completely destroyed the royal houses um, and just came for them. Because Versailles gets, you know, reconstructed, is, is essentially reconstructed. The level, there is, there is nothing I have ever seen in the United States of America that comes anywhere close to the level of wealth and ornamentation and just sheer grandeur that is Versailles. There is nothing. There isn't a single building nothing Versailles is a space that you look at that you walk through right it is enormous and I'm, that's even before you get to the gardens to the ground I haven't even seen honestly Mary Antoinette's like didn't even make it that far it is to see how enormous it is is to understand that hundreds of thousands of people gave their life their blood their sweat their tears everything to create something so grandiose so ridiculous and so I then think if you build all of that and then you can't afford bread you are going to chop off their hands you are going to chop off their hair and I don't blame you I'm just I'm just saying like if you've ever seen Versailles you understand very much why um they came for them um and so this book was interesting because it's like like because it mentions that they go to Versailles right um when they meet with the queen and I was just kind of like I can picture it but I can also picture like the literal sheer horror that we take place not that far after this book is sent um because the book Marie Antoinette in the book it mentions that she had arrived at 14 and had been seven years so she was 21 um now I'm curious to be like 
when was the French Revolution? Of course. Oh, French Revolution timeline. Ah. So the royal treasury is empty in 1788. This is a prelude. Revolution begins in 1789. And let me click on the book. On the book to see. Okay, chapter one, seventeen seventy one. Girl, girl, seventeen seventy one. Seventeen eighty nine is not that long. Chapter two. So the story starts in seventeen seventy five. Let's give them six months, a year, whatever. I don't even think it's a year. That's too much time. So now we're gonna do math. I can't do it in my head. 1789 minus 1775. Only 14 years later. Okay, so 14 years is a decent... <gasps> then I, now I just have the terrible thought. Like, what if they went to Haiti and then went back home? Um, no. Let me... Sorry for doing the math and ruining... Ruining the HEA, my friends. Because I'm like, I don't know that they, unless they were planning on permanently moving to Haiti, they would have been back. But maybe they would have been back and forth. Anyway. Anyway. All that to say that I did enjoy um, the book, The Duke's Defiance in Drabala. Now, the other book that I read that I wanted to talk about, so it is a vampire romance. It is a black vampire romance. It's called Sweet Fang, Sweet Fangs, and it's by Nicole Whitfield. It's book one in a series, and okay, so I'm someone who, I don't want to say I grew up on Twilight because I wasn't a teen when Twilight came out. Or was I a teen? Actually, when did Twilight come out? Let's let's look that up. Twilight. Twilight when when Twilight book. I just wrote Twilight book. Um the first book came out in two thousand five. Oh, okay, yeah, I was not a teen. I was twenty two. Um I'm like, I have to anyway. I read all the books, and I was like, I think that was my very first, like, vampire-type book? No. Maybe. No. I think I'd read, started to read some of the BDB books by um, J.R. Ward. Then I read Twilight, and there was this interesting thing of both books had vampires in them, but the lore was so completely different, right? In both, well, no, not in both, like, Sunshine was an issue, but in BDB, it was like, you died. In Twilight, you glittered like a diamond, um, or sparkled like glitter, according to the movies. Um, so, vampires are, you know, like, it's, it's something that's in, you know, paranormal romance. And there was a huge, like, wave of it, and it seemed to kind of go away. What I don't ever recall really reading was, like, black vampires. Like, black, yeah. um, I do recall people being, like, to Gerald Ward, like, girl, girl, girl. And then finally she was like, okay, I can give you, like, one book, but it ends in a way that was going to make all y'all mad. Um, so I was kind of like, sweet things, okay. Um, and I've never read Nicole Whitfield, so I didn't know what to expect. I wouldn't say it's terrible. It was okay. Um, there were things that I wish had been, I wanted the lore of, like, I think when you do book, like, vampires, you really have to sort of be really clear about what is true to the world you are writing, because there are so many ways in which that can go. These are vampires that can clearly go about in, in, you know, the daytime, so there was none of that. Um, there was a brief mention of like um, when the female main character finds a website about faithfuls. So in this world, there are people who know about vampires. And there are people who just don't know. Um, but it wasn't like a complete, like, you know, a secret, like, you know, in BDB where like they do not tell humans and you have to erase their mind. 
that didn't seem to be the case. That was interesting in the sense that I don't know how, you know, if there are people who are in this world who would like want to fuck over vampires, like why wouldn't they just then feel like these people are vampires are real. Um, this man's been around since for 94 years. Like that was where there wasn't enough of an explanation. Like our mailman character apparently was born in 1928. And from what I could tell, we were, you know, in the early, in like the two, you know, we were in 2000 something. Cause I think it said he was 94. So basically 2028, he would turn a hundred. So you do that. I don't want to do it now. So there was a part of me that was like, okay, so no one questions that this man has been around in the same town for 94 years. Like it, because I say this because our the female main character had no idea that the vampires existed. Like she didn't believe that they were real. So that I was kind of like, okay, how does that work? Is it that certain towns have vampires and the people in those towns, but it, they weren't really like in a small town either. So that's where it was a little like, hmm, okay. Wish there was a little more explanation there. A little more explanation there. Um, the two main characters are Olivia and Gabriel. And Gabriel is supposed to be getting, uh, having sort of an arranged marriage with a woman from another vampire family. And then he comes across Olivia one night. And her blood, of course, sinks to him, yada, yada, yada. Um, it's, like, very sweet. He's immediately drawn to it. Um, and he talks. What I thought was interesting was he mentions many times that he had had conversations with his grandfather. And his grandfather was like, you will know when you meet the right woman. Um, and yet his parents sort of acted like you just marry the person you're supposed to marry for the sake of the family. And that's it. And I was like, huh. So... There's, like, this idea that fate, like, the grandfather made it seem like fated mates is a reality, and yet the parents' reactions and behavior was very, of like, fuck that shit, you go marry whatever's gonna benefit this family. That's where I was also a little, like, so is fated mates real or not? Is this something that is really rare or happens all the time? Like, again, I needed a little bit more information, because different vampire like each author sort of pl made plays around with what the lore for their book is going to be and I'm not going to know what it is unless you tell me right and so I was kind of like oh okay um did I enjoy it like it was okay I finished it um like I said I wanted a bit more could have been uh way more in depth I'm also um, going to be straight up and say that um, I recently read a short. So I am um, on the newsletter list for Drea Anderson. Um, I've also like know her in real life and she's amazing. Um, but anyway, I'm on her newsletter list. And she gave us a short for a new vampire series. And that was everything like it left me with so many questions but like not in a bad way possibly also because I knew it was a short so I knew every question I had would not be answered but I think because she set the bar so high um unfortunately sweet fangs kind of just didn't didn't quite reach um where I'd wanted it to reach um so it wasn't bad it just was it was okay. I will say I really did appreciate. I was really curious about like Gabriel and all of his family, like mother, father, uh, other brother and sister. They all have these very specific tattoos on their hands. Um, it's a family thing, which I was like, why don't we go more into why that's a thing and why that happens? Like, what what specifically about this family has that going on? Um, so there were, I think, had I had more, some of my questions answered, I would have enjoyed the book more. Um, so it wasn't my hand. It's funny because it's like completely opposite from, you know, the Duke book. It's like I did historical, said in pre-revolutionary France, and then I go to 
um, vampires. But that's, you know, kind of kind of who I am. I'm somebody that just, like, goes all over the place with my reading. And I love both historical and paranormal. Always have. Um, so now I'm going to sort of be on the hunt for some more vampire books. Because I I kind of want to get back into that. You know, um, the blood sucking and all that drills. Um, okay, so I'm going to pause here. Oops. I'm going to pause here. And then I'm going to come back. And I'm going to share a magical moment with y'all. Okay? All right. Mm-hmm. Okay, everyone. So, today... Uh, wait, what day is today? Oh, um, so you guys are hearing this on Friday or anytime after Friday... Um, the 24th. Technically, I started recording this on the 23rd. Anyway, Thursday, February 23rd, 2022. Nalina Singh, the person that I am slightly obsessed with, as y'all know, gave us a blurb for the next Side Changeling book. So if you are a fan and you've signed up for her newsletter, this is in your email. If you're a fan and you haven't signed up for her newsletter, please just uh, run to sign up for her newsletter. And if you're not a fan, um, please join us by reading the books. Um, And if you're like, Esther, it's too many books. Do what other people do. Start with the second season-ish, or the second hour, Side Changeling Trinity, which starts in Silver Silence, which then you're only six books behind. Seven. Whatever. Um, So... The next book, Resonance Surge, which is going to be coming in July, has a blurb. And I'm going to read it to y'all because first I want to read it to y'all and then I want to give y'all my reaction. Okay, everyone. Where are the broken? A propulsive question that unleashes a world of secrets in New York Times bestselling author Nalini Singh's Resonance Surge. Stonewater Bears, Pavel, and Yakov Steperiev have been a unit since birth, but now Pavel's life is veering in a new direction, his heart held in the hands of Arwen Merkant, a psi empath, and the only man who has ever brought Pavel to his knees. This is it, a point of irrevocable change for Pavel, for Arwen, for Yakov, and for another pair of twins whose bond has a far darker history. A low-gradient sigh, Theodora Marshall is considered worthless by everyone but her violently powerful twin, Pax. She is the sole sole person he trusts in their venomous family to investigate a hidden and terrible part of their family history, an unregistered rehabilitation center established by their grandfather. Places of unimaginable pain designed to psychically wipe minds, leaving the victims shells of their former selves. The centers are are an ugly vestige of the Psy race's silent past. But this center was worse. Far, far worse. And now, Thea must uncover the awful truth. In the company of a scowling bear named Yakov, who isn't about to take a marshal at face value, especially a marshal who has turned his dreams into chilling nightmares. Because Yaakov is the great-grandson of a foreseer, and he has seen Theo die in an unstoppable surge of blood, night after night after night. And that's followed by pre-order links. Okay, so... I had woken up and I was like oh Nalini had mentioned the newsletter was going to be late yesterday then I immediately saw an Instagram comment notification um from some of my fellow fans um on the gram really reading romance and um oh boy sorry I just realized I have no idea if he was heard that whatever um 
reads romance and really reading romance. And it was like, oh my God, oh my God, we're shook. So I immediately ran to read the blurb. And then I was screaming. Like, it was like, I was like screaming, screaming. It was more like, you know, when you open your mouth and you know you want to scream, well, you can't because it's early in the morning or early-ish and you're not trying to be a dick. Um, Because I don't like live in the woods by myself. I live in an apartment in New York City and I have a roommate and that would be rude. So I did that like where you open your mouth, like you're going to scream, but like no sound comes out. Anyway, guys, 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 when we, Nalini had said bears for the next book. So I was like, okay, we're going back. We're going back to to Stonewater. Cool. I remember being like, who, is it going to be a bear we've already met? I was like, is it going to be Arwen? and Pablo but I was like I feel like if it was them she would have just told us right she just said bears right and then it was like okay then the cover came out the cover was the or at least the North American cover it's clearly a man and a woman so it's not gonna be Aaron and Pablo it's like okay who who is it is it one of Valentin's sisters because he does have the un he has a sister who has who's made it to um chaos and they have their son Dima but his other sister right and then I was like I'm like who's the bear is it a, is it the female main character is it the male main character I, who knows didn't at all once consider that it could have been Theo did we want a Theo book of course I want to know more about this woman like I absolutely want to know more about it. did I even consider that not at all so this blurb was just like, oh my God. So I have, because I love these books and they're like literally what they bring me joy. I have reread books one through 15 um, in the last few months. <laughs> now I kind of, and my plan was to like start on Silver Silence like tomorrow. <laughs> so a part of me is like, so I could do that. Um, I may actually go right back to slave to sensation assault all over again because I really want to but this time maybe like do like a fat I don't know if I can do a fast reread but focusing on all things Marshall right because for those of you who have read right Marshall the grandfather right was a council member right he is on the council in book one he dies in book two I think it's off page he just dies um and that's how Caleb is able to ascend to the council because counselors have to die for someone to take their place kind of thing um so that that man who is that character who's alive in book one is the grandfather that is mentioned right so my one of my thoughts was okay are some of the people who will have run through the center from people who questioned anything that the council said or did? Um, who were they related to? If you read uh, uh, the book that Storm Echo, is there any chance that this center was a place where council members sent family to be rehabilitated? Right, to keep it all very closed and in the loop. There's a part of me that says yes, there's a part of me that says no, because it is very clear that each council member wants to keep, um, would never sort of allow, I think, somebody else from another ruling family to handle that kind of stuff. But maybe anybody that he's has an alliance with, which brings me to Santana Enrique. Did Santana Enrique you know, fuck with side people as well, not just changing women, and funnel those people through Marshall's little center, right? Because an off like the centers are awful, but they were an accepted way of life. So why would you create your own off the books? What is that for? If not to like, you know, fucking ruin the lives of your enemies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or like, you know, lend it out to people Pax and Theo also not also next thought that came to mind we in Destiny from really uh reading romance mentioned we have two sets of twins in this book right what uh, what I'm getting from this because Yaakov and Pavel are really close which means we're gonna see Pavel right 
Theo and Pax are, you know, Pax is stable because of Theo and, you know, memory. So we're going to obviously, I'm assuming memory is going to show up in this book. There's no way around that, Um, which means we get to to see her again. Um, But what is this going to mean, right? Another sign mating into Stonewater, right? What is that like, you know, and not a sign that we know. So up until this point, I would say this second, uh, you know, the second arc, we've seen, we we got to see, right, the Mercant family structure, see how similar it is to a changeling um, structure, and to really understand that power, but also compassion, and like, you can rise to power through literal fear or through, you know, just looking out for each other. And the Mercants are the second one, right? We are starting to see how certain families, how the families that model themselves after, um, that even within a construct of no emotion maintained emotional bonds, even very, very fine, fine or faint ones, and then, of course, you've got, like, the Scots, where clearly that's not what happened. Um, Pyle, right? The Rao family group, that's not what happened. The Marshall family group feels like that's also is not what is happening. But then my question becomes, are Theo and Pax going to be the generation that changes that, right? Is it now going to be something that changes? Was there anyone else in the family who had ever tried to go against their grandfather that had been rehabilitated, like, it just opens up so many motherfucking questions, so many questions, um, and yeah, like, I don't think it's been a conscious question for me, but yeah, where have all these broken people who've been rehabilitated gone to? The idea is that people become former shells themselves, so where are they? Like, where are these former shells? Because you don't ever hear, you don't ever hear changelings humans talking about like side that are you know incapable so are they all just locked away in certain places do they die are they all addicted to jacks is is rehabilitation so similar to being addicted to jacks that you just look like a jacks junkie but that's not exactly what's happening because yeah if they've been doing this for this long where are these people or are they all just you know dead or are are they locked up somewhere? Like, what is going on? And we're gonna, we're gonna get to find out, right? And as I've mentioned before, right, um, Nalini loves to expand our knowledge of this world as we meet characters, and they expand the knowledge of the world as they learn new things. So we're going to get to learn what Theo, right, is learning, right, and all of the things that she's going to encounter. We're going to get to learn all the things that her impacts now, right? I feel like we've spent a decent amount of time. We now understand the bears, but here's the other thing, right? Yakov and Pavel specifically are great-grandsons of a four-seer, so a part of me has always been like, obviously, everybody in this series has, like, might have a hint of sigh here or there because for a hundred years there was intermingling. There hasn't been cross intermingling of like racial groups for a hundred years, but that's not that long, right? Um, Zizen, who passes in within the series, was alive and like a like a young adult at the birth of Silence. So clearly there's like, you know, a few people are still alive that were alive when, you know, silence was implemented. Um, and then, of course, there are their, their children. But I think it's so interesting that um, with Yakov and Paul specifically, we are getting to see, um, like, because what, what, what will appearing between someone who has enough of a sigh genetic material in their makeup that it is like you know this is not my great 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 it's just your great grandfather we're just going back three generations that's it 
and now you're with someone who is sign, right? Like, what is that? What is that gonna, how is that gonna impact their bond? How is that gonna affect their bond? Is Theo gonna get sucked into Stonewater's network? Or is she gonna stay a part of the Sinet when they eventually meet? Like, what, what is gonna happen? I don't know, but I am so excited. I am so ready for this um, because I like this blurb literally just had me asking so many questions, so many questions. I was just like, oh my God, we, you know, and also prior to this, I want to say Pablo and Yakov are the first set of twins that we really encounter in the book series. Like, no other character is a twin up until this point. We've seen siblings, of course. Um, um, not all characters have siblings, but some some do. But this is the first instance. Pablo and Jacob were the first instance where twins and then Pax and Theo. Um, but twins, you know, are a thing that happens. It occurs. So it's like, what, what are we going to learn about how that bond looks like and how it exists in this kind of an environment right it's just oh i i guys 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 like you don't understand how excited like i am like i oof like i just i need it's gonna be so so good like i cannot wait like we've got two sets of twins one that's a little bit darker than the other and just like what the hell the marshals have done because storm echo right we 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 now have a little bit more information about the scots right right ivan is a scot and not only that his mother was brilliant enough to get away from a family that had a significant amount of, now her sister becomes counselor right so if her sister becomes counselor and her parents weren't counsel then maybe there wasn't anyone on the council at the time that her sister defected or ran off to like but you were powerful enough to become a council member right so did you ever go after your sister we still don't know um that but we are now seeing, it feels like we're getting more information about former counselors, right? And we're going to see like the consequences of like the things that they probably put into place or allowed to happen or didn't allow to happen when they were, you know, completely, you know, full rulers with no naysayers so we're going to learn all this martial history like I just guys so excited so yeah anyways I had to read the blurb to you and then just tell you all my thoughts and my feelings because oh my god I am so ready for this book July is not that far away we're way basically end of February so March April May June four and a half months basically i feel like it's a july 20 something release um considering how like excited i am you would think i would like have the date tattooed on my forehead no but that might be pushing it <laughs> imagine I'm like i have the date no that's doing a lot but i'm, I'm looking it up right now it's release date july 25th 2023 and it is the 24th so it's literally like five months away four months away i can't count whatever so i cannot wait 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 okay so usually i pause to do gratitude attitude but i don't really feel like doing that today i'm just gonna keep a going um what am I grateful for this week? 
this week was a little bit of a tough one. Um, you know, grief is is a tricky bitch. Sometimes I'm like, I'm being, I'm doing okay. And then that wave just comes and just like takes me out. And I'm just like, oh. um, so I'm grateful. Um, I'm grateful for being able to get up every day. Um, I think it was earlier this week. I took a walk outside, um, basically right after sunset. And um, they said today was actually going to be a really good time to see it, but it was cloudy and I didn't feel like going to check. Um, but I could see the moon and what looked like two of the stars. I live in New York, so sometimes I'm like, are those stars or are those helicopters or are those planes? But it was like very, very stationary. And I believe it's Venus and Jupiter. Um, so today they were going to be like literally in a straight line. Um, I think it was Tuesday I went for my walk. They were more, it was a bit of a, like, it was like the moon and then a little bit to the left and up, I think Venus and a little bit to a little bit more to the left and up. It's more of a sort of a sloping curve, but being able to see that and just being able to go for a walk. Um, my father loved to walk a lot. And so I'm really grateful that I'm able to go for walks um, and remember him and just think of how much um, he would love the moment that I'm in. Um, so that's one of the things that I was, I, it just felt really special, I guess, to me. Um, the other thing that I'm really grateful for, which is, like, such a silly thing, but, like, also not, fresh sheets. Like, you know, when you've just switched out for fresh, freshly laundered sheets, oh, it's just, it's so nice. You just get into bed, and it's like, oh, it's delicious. This is luxurious. This is the life. Like, how can you not feel good when you're getting into bed with fresh, clean, freshly laundered sheets, you know, um, it's just, mm, it's so good, it's so good, um, and the last thing that I'm actually really grateful for, so I was on Twitter, and one of the people I follow was asking about, like, oh, like, what's an easy meal that, like, involves next to no cooking, because, God, feeding oneself as an adult is fucking hard, it really is, and so somebody had mentioned something, and then they had retreated being like, yo, I, I use this instead. So basically what it came down to, I found, I'd found the person who had mentioned and they'd included a video. This woman had done a TikTok video where she was like rice, um, a can of salmon, like um, canned salmon, avocado, seaweed, um, sheets that she crumpled up, some sesame seeds. Cupy mayo, um, soy sauce, and I think she did add like sriracha or something. So basically, like a deconstructed sushi bowl. So I tried it. Um, I actually had like Spanish rice from Trader Joe's instead of regular rice, and I didn't get avocados because um, I just didn't feel like dealing with like, are they ripe? Are they not? Um, and Trader Joe's has the the Japanese seasoning. Um, that's like seaweed and sesame seeds already together. Um, so I, you know, bought the stuff and I made it and oh my God, was that incredible. Like it was so delicious with the, I did the, I did the salmon from Trader Joe's one. It's like in a, like a peachy pink blush, uh, can it's in olive oil. Um, oh my God, was it so good. Oh, like just and here's the funny thing like I'm not like a a raw like sushi type person and sometimes I'm like yeah but this was just everything with the kiwi mayo and the soy sauce and the um the seasoning it was just so good and so filling so I'm really glad that I stumbled across that because I will definitely be doing more of that because I I need to like, you know, eat more salmon and good fats and stuff that'll help me lower my cholesterol. Um, so very, very thankful for that. Um, so yeah, guys, uh, 
that's all I have for you this week. I am also, what was I going to say? I don't remember now because the brain, the brain is special. But anyway, that's all I have for you guys this week. Thank you so much for listening. Um, If you have any questions or you just want to chat about books, uh, find me on the socials, on Twitter and Instagram. My handles will be in the show notes. And have a wonderful uh, rest of your week. Actually, since it's it's Friday or later, have a wonderful weekend. And I will talk to you guys next week. All right. Bye.